Hey, Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today we're going to get into a topic that sometimes divides the audience and that is tribute bands and tribute albums. Um, on the one hand, you've got the people that uh, sort of enjoy the nostalgia of those types of things, uh, get a kick out of it. And then you've got on the other side of the fence, people that think it's kind of pointless. They don't understand why the time and effort and what's the point. So we're going to talk about the pros and cons of tribute bands and tribute albums today, get our opinions on each of those things. Um, but before we get into that, Jason, what's going on with you? What's on your radar this week? Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we are finally past the storm and, yes. uh, you know, uh, we made, we did make headlines. We did, uh, we did tape a couple of talk louder episodes during the massive, uh, Snowvid uh, 21 yeah, and, yeah. uh, survived it. I, I think that I finally glued to back together my PVC pipage ar around the house and, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. Good for it you. Probably, probably better, better than it was before, but I did want to, uh, I'm not going to hold it up to my camera or anything, but I wanted to hold it up at least real quick and uh i got i got a vinyl haul uh oh. did, did some trading and uh really really awesome sort of show and tell yeah what here. you got uh my uh my buddy i think i held these up a while back like a couple of early episodes these are some bootleg merciful fate live stuff from the 90s i think ah, cool. and my buddy bob got me those and uh they're okay they're a little crunchy you know board tapey yeah. kind of thing now uh i got it's going to be impossible for me to just hold them all up but i got uh merciful fate melissa yeah. Uh on, on Roadrunner, the original the an original pressing. Wow. And then I have uh I have the Megaforce version here, which I already had. Now I also got uh this is uh this is the combat version of uh Don't Break the Oath, which I also just held up. So I got a Roadrunner. I got the domestic and the original, which would have been considered uh, an import, I guess, when it came out. And yeah. uh, they're, they're in mint condition, just mint. Wow. And uh, no presents for Christmas, King Diamond. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I thought was super, super rare. And my buddy, I, I need to mention his again. I hope I don't massacre his name. Justin Poitier. I think I'm Poitier, Poitier, Porter, Justin Porter. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> anyway, uh, he is up north midwest or something i i can't remember at the moment he might be in like uh maryland or something anyway uh then i also got the king diamond stuff wow uh fatal portrait that's uh a roadrunner as well that would have been 86 uh got to play with him on that tour 
Abigail, uh, pretty much the gamut. Them, wow. yeah, and uh, yeah, all on Roadrunner. These are originals. I, I'm wondering how he got them, and like I, you know, there was no there was no money involved in this trade. It was a trade. Maybe it's better uh, to not ask. Yeah, don't don't. <laughs> well, I'm, I owe him. I owe him something. I'm gonna send, <laughs> I've got some things I'm going to send him. So, this is Roadrunner. This is conspiracy. I mean, this is like I don't know, eighty nine or something. Yeah, eighty nine. I don't. I don't know these this material. Yeah, I, it's no. It's no surprise to people that I'm more merciful fate than I am King Diamond. Yeah, I, lo- I love King Diamond too. Yeah, uh, this is yeah. the I. I guess this was like ninety one again. Roadrunner. I don't know these. I don't know. Well, it sounds like you got some listening to do. Oh, I've already started it. Yeah, I I ran Melissa today already like two times. Good for you. That's yeah, a haul. Super, That's... super happy with that. And one, one more. I don't, I don't want to wait for a second episode to do this. This, uh, this record that I did over the pandemic with Ellison, this covers album. Oh yeah, which is very fitting to what we're going to talk about. Indeed, it this, is. This is a gatefold. Uh, it's this came out beautiful. I just got this. It's a double. You know, obviously, it's a double album. There's 20 damn songs on it. Uh, it's got full print sleeves. I mean, that's oh, just bad ass nice. looking. Uh, it's got all kinds of thank yous and stuff from the Ellison band, Bumblefoot and Tom and everybody. And it's on this crazy green vinyl. Oh, wow. Nice. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful package. And uh, a lot of people got excited about this record, but we'll get, we'll get into that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What about, what about yourself uh, now that we're post storm? Well, uh, I also had a, a bit of a record haul, but mine was much lighter than yours. It was only one record, actually. A record haul is a record <laughs> haul. It doesn't matter if it's ten or twenty or I. I got lucky. It's just not a contest. What'd you get? Uh, well, I I went to uh, Waterloo Records here in Austin. It's my son's favorite place to go these days. So uh, I'm in there. Uh, That's called good parenting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's great for me because I get to revisit the record store probably more frequently than I would on my own. So uh, I've got a little more incentive. I, you know, between me and his mother, he's probably in that store once a week. In fact, uh, when we were there last time, uh, the guy, uh, the clerk that was at the checkout counter was commenting on my son's jacket. And he said, did you have the, those pins on the last time you were in here? <laughs> and I was like, OK, you, they obviously record- know you. Yeah, recognize them a regular customer right yeah to the yeah. so to down to the detail of wondering whether or not he had the same pins on his jacket this week as he did last week um but anyway i like going through the bargain bins in the 99 cent rack and i found uh leonard skinnard's live uh 1976 album one more from the road and uh i you know for 99 cents i couldn't pass it up of course it's a double live album um, from right before the, before the plane crash, about a year before oh, the yeah. plane crash. And uh, Leonard Skinner was one of the first bands that I remember listening to when I was about 12 or 13, about the age I was starting to discover rock and roll. Leonard Skinner was among the first bands I heard because my dad was in the Air Force and we were living overseas in England. 
and we were living on, on an American Air Force base. So I was friends with fellow Americans who were stationed overseas. And one of my buddies had three older brothers. So they came over from the States already fully formed rock and rollers, you know. <laughs> and here I am, me and my buddy, we're at an age where we're starting to get curious about rock and roll. And these guys came over with all the, the records and they were already, you know, full into it. And uh, because of those guys, I got turned on to Leonard Skinner. And I remember making cassette copies of their vinyl and listening to listening to the albums uh, on one of those old cigar box shaped cassette players with the big chunky buttons. And uh, yeah, so I was all about some Leonard Skinner. And I remember I was living in England when the plane crash happened. And I remember being just kind of devastated. It was the first time that a plane crash actually meant something to me. You know, that was always something you heard about in the news, but this one kind of, you know, I, I felt it because it was not that I knew the guys personally, of course, but this was a piece of me that no longer exists because of a plane crash. Um, so anyway, Leonard Skinner, very important band in my early years of becoming a rock and roller. And I found their double live album for 99 cents at Waterloo Records. And I've been spending that this week, getting reacquainted with the tunes, especially in the live format. Always love Needle in the Spoon. Uh, call me the breeze working for MCA, oh, yeah. Bird, of course, give me, give me three steps, you know, good classic stuff, uh, at the band of, of the band right at their prime. So it was a good nice. score. I think, uh, that band raging slab, uh, yeah. recorded, uh, a cover of working for MCA. Oh, nice. It was really badass. Yeah, uh, that that live album, uh, you know, uh, sue me or kill me for not not knowing, but it 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 could be a huge record to a Skinnerd fan, and I wouldn't even know it because I don't know if I've heard of a Leonard Skinner double live album. You know? Oh yeah, it was a it was a pretty common release. It's not like a rare import or anything. It was a major no. label part of their catalog. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think so. It just it just when I think about it, it's like I'm not I am not everything Leonard Skinner. Yeah, I, I like yeah. Leonard Skinner, but I right. don't. I, I don't. I might have one record. It might be a CD. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I don't know. I'd have to literally look for it. Well, one of, besides those cassette tapes that I recorded from my buddy's older brother's record collection, uh, one of the first albums I remember owning in my house as a kid was an eight-track uh, copy of the album Street Survivors, and oddly enough, it was the the artwork was the one with the flames in the background, which shortly after the plane crash, the label pulled that that artwork, of course, and replaced it with just the, the same shot of the band minus the flames in the background. Um, but one of the first things I remember listening to on my parents' stereo was an eight track of Street Survivors. And uh, yeah, and it was the one with the flames in the background. I wish I still had it uh, just for collectability, uh, but it's long gone. One last uh, bit of trivia on Leonard Skinner. Um, that plane that crashed was actually scouted by Aerosmith. And the guys in Aerosmith had a friend. One of the guys had a, 
a friend whose dad was a former pilot or somehow worked in the aviation industry. And he went to check out that very same plane and told uh, the Aerosmith guys, I don't know, I don't have a good feeling about this plane. I wouldn't buy it if I was you guys. So they passed on it. So, um, and then of course it went down not long later and, and basically ended Leonard Skinner, but it could have been Aerosmith. So obviously something was wrong with it. Yeah. Not, yeah. A, not a, doesn't take a, well, it needed, we needed a, some kind of uh, aviation expert. I was going to say brain surgeon wouldn't, you wouldn't want a brain surgeon to go look at the plane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I, apparently Aerosmith had the right guy and, uh, and Leonard Skinner didn't, or maybe Leonard Skinner didn't even bother having the plane inspected. Who knows? Uh, but you know, tragedy, no matter how you look at it and, and right. ended, ended a great band, but there you have it. That's my fine 99 cent double live. That's, that's a, that's a score. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like they're going to start calling your son by his first name here pretty quick. <laughs> I think they already have. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. Good. Works for me. All right, let's move into our main topic this episode. <laughs> Today we are talking about tribute bands and tribute albums. It is a subject that seems to divide people. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, some people think they're great. Uh, they enjoy the nostalgia factor. Uh, they enjoy just the pure entertainment and the fun of it. And then other people don't really see the point in tribute bands or tribute albums. They kind of think they're sort of a second rate knockoff. Uh, don't really see the value in it, you know, and I guess uh, at the end of the day, it all boils down to personal taste, but let's discuss a little while. Um, what is your take on, we'll start with tribute bands and we'll just let the conversation go, go wherever it goes. But uh, yeah, because I, I definitely want to get into tribute albums and uh, yeah, sure. a lot of people who know me know that I appear on quite a few of them. Yes. Uh, so, so tribute bands, which I have been also involved and even spearheaded a couple, uh, it's not, um, so much that I'm forming a tribute band or, um, think about forming a tribute band or, or the idea of, of, uh, you know, that would be a good idea for a tribute band. You know, it's not like I'm scheming to do that all the time because I think I'm going to make a lot of money because, or whatever, there's not really any monetary, uh, bullseye. Right. Uh, it really is. And this is vital. This is an important thing that I want to just, you know, bleed onto the screen here is uh it's because i love the band yeah. is, would be the reason why i would want to be involved right. um in any kind of tribute it's because i love i mean love the band yeah um yeah. an acdc a kiss an aerosmith a metallica the I've done tributes to all of those bands uh, to where, you know, we're, we're at least giving it a shot to have the visual uh, not to where we're cutting our hair and dyeing our hair. Like, like the guys in the band. I mean, in a kiss tribute band, I've been done one where it's a five piece band. Everybody knows kiss is not a five piece band. 
and we didn't wear any costumes or anything we just paid tribute to the songs right that was sick correct and yeah, our producer was, Jared was in that band. That's correct. And that was, and we were around for, I don't know, 20 years or something. And that yeah. was so much fun. And yeah. er, everyone who came to see us had so much fun, but we weren't spitting fire and wearing boots and makeup. It was solely because the songs are they the songs touch uh the the you know something in in a fan's uh soul and they remember where they were the first time they heard that or that you know it's from their favorite record or something like that now that bleeds over into the same group of people who are wearing the outfits and the costumes and going full gonzo on yeah. the uh, on the stage show and everything and i've seen some of those bands and some of those kiss tribute bands or hell even an acdc tribute band that actually you know they got the schoolboy uniform and they get you know you know they're either dressed up like uh bon scott or or whatever you know big balls and back and black are two texas uh acdc tribute bands that are pretty damn good yeah, and they, you know, they care. They're just, they care. But once again, it's, it doesn't matter what, what music or who you're paying tribute to when you're a tribute band. For the most part, from the way I see it, it really is because you love the band. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I, I, I can appreciate it from both perspectives. Um, I, I like the tribute bands that uh, are doing something that I can no longer get out of the original band. So, for example, I'm just going to use an example here. But if there was a Motley Crue tribute band that was only doing material from the first two albums and they were dressed somewhere in between, like from they looked like the Too Fast for Love era or a mix of the Shout at the Devil era or something. I would be excited about that because I'm a Motley Crue fan. And if I go see Motley Crue at my local arena, when they come through town, they have to play all the hits from a long catalog of records. They got to touch on Girls, Girls, Girls and Dr. Feelgood and Theater of Pain. And that's fine. But um, my point being that I wouldn't have much interest in seeing a Motley Crue tribute band if they're covering the catalog. To me, it, my interest would peak if they were covering a segment of the career that that band is no longer offering me. So, uh, yeah, something, something like that. I know that, uh, there are bands that do that, uh, tribute bands. And, and I think it's really cool if they focus in, they know that there's an audience out there for the first two, whatever albums. Right. And, and they give it to people. And I think that's exciting for the band, because as you say, if the band is going to concentrate on, uh, on a particular album, especially if it's early on in the band's careers, you can pretty much be assured that the band members are super fans of that band and they're getting some enjoyment out of playing this. And then the audience, on the other hand, gets a kick out of it because they're not going to get that set list anywhere else not not even from especially not from the original band right so in in that regard i i really can appreciate what tribute bands are doing and i appreciate the 
the fandom that makes them want to get on stage and recreate those songs and that that band's material and that sort of thing. Yeah, I want to jump in and just say it doesn't matter if there's anyone watching them or not. It almost, it almost to put it back in perspective of the guys in the band, the people on stage, you know, that band doesn't really even have to be the greatest musician. They don't have to be that great of a band from the perspective I'm giving here. They're yeah. doing it because they're fans first. Right. And they, you know, if they're, if they're chooffing the song a little bit and they probably don't care, they're wearing the costume and they're having a great time and they're just glad to be doing it. We're talking to somebody who's doing it um, either totally legit where the band has to be good or they get hired and they have an agent and they go on tour right. or, or just the backyard party where there's a bunch of buddies that got together and put together these costumes and worked up a set for their buddy's 50th birthday party. You know, it's the same, it's coming from the same place to me. Now, yeah. Now there's, you know, the, the, let's call the, the a level band that like, that made me pick one. So it may be back in black out of Dallas or the Iron Maidens from Los Angeles. Yeah. It's obvious what who's who they're paying tribute to by the name of their band. Right. It's right. also important as well. Yeah. Um and those bands tour. They do. And yeah. they can fly in dates. I mean, yeah. they're like a legitimate band. Right. Um, right. There's you know, there there's um we've kind of covered most of the idea of uh, you know the people in these bands, the kind of people in these bands. I want to bring up just this one last thing. The people who are like touring as a tribute, you know, they're, they're actually have an agent and they actually tour and they, you know, they might play a hundred shows a year. Yeah. They're, they're not uh, buying new houses and cars, but they can live off of that. Sure. So, yeah. Um, Hell, some of them might be buying cars. Who knows? But the point the point that I'm making is is these people are are they're musicians who have or have had original bands, have yeah. released records, have yeah. toured their own material, have written and recorded and released and gotten record deals, etc. They're legitimate people who have not necessarily fallen back into, you know, oh, well, I, I don't have a record deal anymore and my records aren't, you know, my, re my music doesn't sell, so I'm just going to play a tribute like, oh, poor me, I'm going to be in a, a cover band now, you know what I mean? Right, right. I don't think that they're looking at it like that at all. I think that they're still DIY, they're still really care about their craft um their fans they're not doing it solely for the money we've we've made that very clear but i yeah. did want to say these are people who have they can write songs yeah you can be hired to play original material for someone else in the studio or they could be in original band still right now and then this is just a side gig, right? Right, right. That happens all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's how I that's how I really feel about it. Now, let's let me I'm gonna open a topic and I want you to comment. 
what do you think or have you heard anyone sort of like um, dog out, you know, the people who think that it's okay to be in, let's, let's just call it a working tribute band. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there is a demographic of people that's like, it's like, oh man, that's cheesy. I don't want to see someone just up there just acting like they're, you know, ACDC or Kiss or Iron Maiden or Metallica. I'd rather just see the, that's just a waste of my time, whatever they say about it. Right. Uh, You know, so the pros and cons from the people in the audience who are seeing that there is a touring tribute act coming to their town, what, what do you think of that reaction, whether it be, oh man, I got to see that, that'll be fun. Or the other side of it, like, like, screw these assholes they can't even get a gig with their own music so they just see what i'm saying yeah yeah i what hear do you, you. Think, what do you think about that standing well, between that yeah i mean i i totally hear what you're saying and you know you and i run in circles that uh where we we, we rub elbows with people that are straight up snobs let's face it and i've been that, accused of the same you know that's okay yeah I, it's it's okay for them to have a little like chip on their shoulder about right. how dare they cover that song how they can't do you know there's yeah. only one gene simmons or whatever it is yeah i mean being in a tribute band definitely has a certain stigma to it rightfully or wrongly it, it, it's kind of uh it's kind of viewed uh, as you said as sort of uh uh, how do I put this gently? It's almost viewed as a step down from an original band for all the things you just said. And, um, and I feel like, like you were saying that a lot of the bands are already accomplished musicians in their own right. And they do have other projects and the, and the tribute band is just some sort of sideline fun project. And in some cases, it might be the money maker. You know, their original music is all fine and good, but maybe they're not making the the dough with that, uh, which is probably not all that uncommon. Um, but I, I've always felt like at the end of the day, it boils down to: is the audience having fun? And if the band is having fun and the audience is having fun, what else really matters? You know, that's hugely the point. Yeah, I mean. You can you can nitpick it and you can play rock and roll snob and I've been guilty of it myself. I'm not going to lie, uh, but at the end of the day, I think you know if it if it entertains people and the band's getting off on it, then there's some value to it, you know. Um, so I, I don't. And, and again, like I said, if the band is providing me something that I'm not going to find anywhere else, then more power to them. That's even better. Um, I want to be clear, we're, we're not talking about cover bands. We're not talking about a wedding band that plays Van Halen and then plays Bon Jovi and then plays Garth Brooks. We're talking about bands that are replicating a particular band and songs only from that band. These are tribute acts, not cover, not cover bands. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, especially because you've been in both types of tribute bands, what are your thoughts or how important is it to you that the band not only sounds like the band they're replicating, but how important is the look? Do you think they, do you think it's important that they look the part? Cause I've seen some trivia bands where the two front guys 
are putting in an effort and they look like, you know, you know, you got the Mick and Keith, but uh, the Ronnie Wood is bald and wearing flip flops and the, and the Charlie Watts is like, you know, got a beard or something like that. You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on replicating the look as well as the music? I think that if you're going to call yourself a tribute, you need to put forth the effort to have like that. I forgot the phrase I used earlier, but uh, the visual, there has to be like, you know, somebody in the audience has to be able to stand back a little bit and squint while they face the stage and there be some sort of replication of what they might see. Yeah. Um, you know, if the Angus Young is just standing in one place all night, even though they're wearing the schoolboy uniform, boo. Yeah. That's, right. That doesn't work. I know people that have actually quit an ACDC trip or quit playing the part of Angus Young in a tribute band because it was killing them. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was ruining their knees. They were hitting their head on shit. Right. They were wearing, they're wearing their old asses out. Yeah. And were in, sometimes they were young people too. And yeah. they were like, they would just be all bruised up the next day. And they, sometimes they had, you know, gigs in a row, three in a row, whatever. And they would just be a mess. Yeah. So they had to like <laughs> quit the game. I mean, the, you know, yeah. these are people who are pro musicians and they were doing it for a, for a gas anyway. And the, all of the reasons that we've already covered were, were all checked. Yeah. So it wasn't like they didn't have a gig, you know, someone who didn't have a gig and they were just doing it as a weekend warrior or something. That was the, their main thing. They wouldn't quit, but they, I bet that's usually the one that wants to stand still. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of have, I, I have, somewhat mixed feelings i mean i'm i'm more in favor of the band uh trying to replicate the original band so to me the look and the presentation is a, is as important as the music i agree uh, but having said that i will say and your your former band sick which did all those classic kiss tunes uh there's always exceptions and those exceptions again are am i going to see and hear some guys play some kick-ass music that I can't count on Kiss to play anymore. And at that point, I don't care what you're wearing because I'm, it's Saturday night, I'm out to party, and you guys are playing the first three Kiss albums. And I'm that, that I don't care what you look like. I don't but care right if you have three of, heads. Right in the middle of it, we're playing Almost Human. Yeah, so you're... you're, you're, we're, you're we're, again, we're going you're, super, super deep. Um, and we're also playing your favorite song, but we're also playing my favorite song. <laughs> so that's what I think is uh, we're sort of stirring the same soup here. Yeah. When when it's um, but but I will agree. Uh, I don't know of many other tribute bands that, um, you know, maybe there is an ACDC tribute band or a Smashing Pumpkins tribute band or whatever, what whatever, uh, who is taking from all different eras of that group if they've been around 20 years or more. Yeah. They're doing a, like two songs off of every album just so, sure. they, just so they can try to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. That's a different agenda, I think. Um, but my point was going to be also 
that that band is probably okay. It's okay with me that they're not trying to look like Billy Corgan. You know, they're not trying to, um, you know, are you gonna are you gonna dress up like James Eha? You know, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't. Um, the iconic look of a band is usually part of the reason why someone would want to do or have this in their vocabulary. Like, wow, that that would be a good. That's a good idea for a tribute band. They're usually talking about someone that's got something about them there's queen tribute bands where it's all about the freddie mercury no one else is really maybe the guitar player has an afro wig on and he and he has brian may's guitar you know he has a a signature series guitar Um, seeing an acdc tribute band where where the malcolm young uh is not playing a replica of malcolm young's old gretsch guitar yeah. That's even a bummer for me. Totally. So I'll tell you how anal retentive I am about it. Yeah. I'm paying attention. Unfortunate yeah. for you, I'm paying yeah. attention. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to see Malcolm Young play a Stratocaster or a Flying V or something. <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not going to even sound right. The, exactly. And they know that. It's not, it's not, it's just not right. Anyway, so I mean, I think that that's because we're fans. We're so hardcore caught up into this if i'm gonna go see a tribute band they better be badass or i'm gonna i'm not gonna last all night i might last three songs and smirk and i don't want to do that that's shitty yeah up there having fun i think that's the point i think that's the point it's like uh if you're gonna do it then do it well and either do it well by looking and sounding the part or do it well by focusing on something that's so obscure and and i don't mean obscure like unheard of but something that the band itself the original band is no longer doing if you're gonna if you're gonna be um you know uh, a black sabbath tribute band and you're only gonna play the first three albums i'm probably okay with you showing up in jeans and a t-shirt because yeah. I can't get that from Black Sabbath at the local arena, and I can't get it from Ozzy Osbourne solo anymore when he comes out and does the encores. Yeah. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna uh, be, you know, a band that already had sort of a visual flair, like a Van Halen or a Motley Crue or a, a Kiss or whatever, and you're gonna go beyond just a early album or two then I feel like you got to bring the look too. Well, so. and you know, I don't want to see a Paul Stanley that's overweight and standing in one place because he's afraid he's going to fall on the seven inch platform boots. Right. I want to see the Paul Stanley kicking those high heels over his head. Yeah, and I've exactly. seen tribute bands do that before. And those are the good tribute bands. Yeah. But, but the, uh, yeah, the Angus standing still, the the you know if you don't have the same build as freddie mercury and you can't i mean a queen tribute you got to be badass yeah let's move forward into something that is at least in the in into the 90s and uh um uh well you know slayer is not the 90s but 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 and neither is pantera technically but uh you know around 1990 
um, would have been a good sort of starting point to for Pantera. Let's talk about a Pantera tribute band. I think that the material that you could do, especially now because there's no more Pantera. Well, right. there's no more Slayer now either. Right, right. So those are great ideas. Just say, hey, Dave, you want to start a tribute band? Yeah, what are you going to do? Let's do either Slayer or Pantera. Those are good ideas. You know why? Because you can't go see them. Right. And how about um, this? Let's let's do one even better, and let's do a Slayer cover band that doesn't go beyond South of Heaven. Sure. How about that? Yeah, I don't that, and that and that happens. Not that's, that I'm opposed to Slayer's material beyond South of Heaven, but just to make it a little more enticing to bring correct. out the fans. You know? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even take it that way. So yeah, I I knew I could feel you. So those are good ideas for for multiple reasons, and those are. Those are tribute bands that that work. They, they, they can they can get a gig, and you know what? You you can't just be a, a guitar player or even a singer or especially a drummer who's just like dabbling on their instrument. Like you you're not a you're not just like a oh yeah I play a little bit of guitar because of the work, the work, the low, the, you know, the, the abilities that, that, you know, Pantera's that you have to have to play Pantera, right, to play right. Slayer, you have to be a fucking athlete yeah, to play yeah. like that. Sure. So, so there's no like, you know, Oh, that'd be fun. And then, you know, a tribute band's just not going out there playing Cowboys from hell and then, and then going to the keg, yeah. you know, that's not a tribute band. Yeah. <laughs> so you need a full set, at least an hour, and you guys better be hardcore and you better be excellent musicians or you're going to suck. Yeah. That's it. That's all there is to it. Now, you, you touched on something early in the conversation, um, and I wanted to go back to that because uh, you made the point that there are, in fact, some tribute bands that make a pretty decent living out of this, and, and those would be your your Led Zeppelin bands and your, and your, uh, journey, your Beatles and your journey. And, and let's not forget, uh, the atomic punks. I mean, they did right. nothing but Van Halen and they were one of the biggest draws on the LA club scene back in their day. Yep. And you know why? Because they, because they were giving the Van Halen fans something they couldn't get from Van Halen anymore, you know. And they fan. Did you just say Van Halen? I love it. Did I say that? Oh, Van should, Halen. If I didn't, I should have. <laughs> I love it. That makes yeah. me want to get like a fan. You know, we are in Texas. We use fans because it's yeah. hot, hot as hell. And paint it with the Eddie Van Halen stripes. So when it spins around, it's like this blur of red and white. Yeah. Well, no, just paint. Just get a fan and paint the the box and the everything. Just paint it with the Eddie Van Halen stripes and go. Hey, can you go get Fan Fan Halen for me? <laughs> They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. Way stupid. Yeah. Stupid no, that was funny. Culture. Van Halen. I, I think I coined a phrase and didn't. I, lo even, I love didn't it. Even I love it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, those those people probably are buying cars and possibly houses. I I remember one of the biggest one of the biggest draws on the touring circuit not too many years ago was that that Beatles tribute band. And I don't mean they're competing with U2 and the Rolling Stone, but the Rolling Stones, but they're doing they were doing bang up business. I don't, I, were they called the Fab Four or Hard Day's Night? Or there was probably I, both of those bands. You I know? don't know. I don't know. But I almost feel like, uh, 
you know, it's kind of like a blue man group thing where there might even be like a conglomerate, like there's a, a management company that's hiring these people to cut their hair and get the suits and get a gym membership so they can literally look like the Beatles (laughs) and go on tour as this touring Beatles tribute band, just as an example. And, uh, they're, they're actually uh, making a salary and then yeah. the, the manager of the company that's managing these, and there's like four of them on tour at the same time, four different bands, like a blue man group time. Right. Kind of. Yeah. See, I wouldn't mind seeing that because I grew up too late to see the Beatles. And again, that's their, that cover band is giving me something I can't get anywhere else. Right. And I'd be interested in seeing that. Well, I bet I don't know. I don't know of any offhand, but uh, you know, it sounds like something Disney would have a hand in something like that. (laughs) Yeah, you you know what I mean. Like they would, like a Blue Man Group is. I don't know if that's even a Vegas thing or whatever the Blue. But you know what I'm. You know, yeah, it's almost a corporation. Yeah, exactly what it is. So yeah, yeah, you could do that with a lot of different stuff. Um, and I think that like for the masses. And in like just something to take, you know, to take the kids to, you know, it's like, you know, I want to hold your hand. You know what? All that, you know, cutesy, fun, old Beatles songs. And they're dressed up with the shag haircuts and the pinstripe, you know, suits or whatever. But the skinny tie, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. I think that that is legit and a lot of fun. Uh, for more people than we probably are giving credit to, you know, it's yeah. family, it's clean family fun. It's, it's rock and roll history. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to stand, you know, a two hour show, but that would yeah. be pretty cool to see someone nail all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. Because you, you got to know how to play and you have to know how to sing and, sing, to har- sing. and sing harmony. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know the the one that would probably have the I'm this is terrible of me to say the the probably a lot of fun doing it but they wouldn't have to uh, play anything too crazy would be whoever played Ringo. Yeah. Oh probably. boy. Yeah. Here comes the hate mail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just pissed off a lot of drummers out. I there. love Ringo's playing. Actually, <laughs> I really do like what Ringo does. Or is it Paul that's actually playing the drums on that song? Uh, <laughs> Because, you know, I don't know if you knew that, but uh, rumor has it that when Ringo would leave the studio, Paul would be like, hey, good job, Ringo. See you tomorrow. And they'd wait for the door to close. And then Paul would get in there and re-record all the fucking drums. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I think it depends, like I said, whether you're doing it on a level that you're actually touring the country and making a decent living at it, or if you're a local band just kind of doing it for kicks on Saturday night and having some fun with it. I think the important thing is uh, you got to bring something. Either you got to like nail it, or you've got to be offering a set list that is just dynamite, and you can't get it from the original band anymore. Either of those two things, I think, is going to come up a winner. And at the end of the day, it's all about whether or not the audience had fun and the band had fun. And you know, all the snobs can you know just keep being snobs, but. Uh, I, I, I do find some value in it if it provides some entertainment to uh, to the band. And, I agree. And the I, agree so. I agree 100%. I, I, um, there's some funny moments and um, that I've experienced 
firsthand and I'm sure that like uh, the legit sort of touring, uh, you know, the corporate tribute band, so to speak, would um, probably get even more, uh, uh, have even more funny stories. I've had people come up to me like uh, where I just, you know, a tribute band of mine will play a set and someone will come up to me and go, wow, you guys are great. Where can I buy your record? <laughs> and I'll say at the record store, you know, remember those record stores? And, yeah. and, it, and it's under A for ACDC. Yeah. Right. And there's or, a bunch of or, or depending on whatever I was wearing that night, it's in K for Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. You'll yeah. find it. Just look for anything Kiss. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk real quick about uh, another uh, tribute band that, that you were a part of, um, and that is Sad Wings, a tribute to Judas Priest. And I really enjoyed that band because you guys looked the part, dressed the part, you you sounded the part, singing as Rob Halford. But, let me let me clarify: we're trying. Yeah, we're, well. we're giving it our we're giving it you know we we we're giving it as as close to a hundred and fifty percent that we can yeah but it's it's not you know there's only one rob halford and there's only one Glenn, there's only one Judith sure obviously Glenn. obviously oh. but but the kicker with you guys is so you're kind of the double whammy because you dress the part you got great musicians in the band and uh at what point in the judas priest catalog do you stop like you're not doing screaming for vengeance or turbo or anything it's all yeah. Yeah, we're doing Scream for Vengeance. Are you? Yeah. Where is the, is that the cutoff point? There's something about Sad I, Wings that we was... do. Um, we do Free Wheel Burning. Okay, uh, then you're, that's then, on Defenders. Okay, um, then you're you're deeper into the catalog than I realized. Yeah, we we've all we've we've all agreed that it would be awesome to do Painkiller because we have we have the horses to to pull that buggy. Yeah, yeah, um, but. But it's it just didn't happen, you know. You got to rehearse, and you got to, yeah. you know, you got to you got to work. To yeah. like I said earlier, man, it's not. You got to be a little bit of an athlete. To you can't just be like you know. Oh, I play a little bit. No, you have to. You have to know yeah. a little bit about more of what you're doing, other than just go. Yeah, I, I dabble. No, yeah. And so, um, it just you know it's. I wouldn't say that we were lazy about not actually getting painkiller added to the set because our set is already almost like two hours. Yeah, and and the, and the bulk of it, I I want to say, or at least the last time I saw you, it seemed like the bulk of it was you know hellbent for leather and backwards or something something. Like yeah, that. we do all of Unleashed in the East. We do everything on that, and then um, some some tracks that were taken uh taken off of unleashed in the east delivering the goods and uh beyond the realms of death and stuff like that we also we do those as well yeah um, but we you know we do stuff off of uh point of entry we do uh it's a it's a good show yeah and i and i think you know uh and we need to mention that you know i've seen judas priest in recent years and i and so have you and they are still putting on a great show and they're they're pretty good about reaching back into their catalog and and busting out some really obscure stuff um but you know a band like sad wings it, you, you guys aren't all that active at the moment but uh 
you know, if you can't wait every who, two who years, is? who is? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but if if you can't wait every two years for Judas Priest proper to come around, then you know, a band like Sad Wings gives you that experience, and uh, and it's a little more up close and personal. And so I, I think again, I think if if you bring something to the table, if you've done your homework and you and you've elevated it beyond some crappy karaoke, then then you're doing something cool. So, yeah, I I will agree um, wholeheartedly. You know, let's. Um, this is not exactly an elephant in the room, but you know, when you're starting out learning how to play an instrument, um, and you're and you're young you are sort of emulating your your favorite guy in sure. that band and that band or that sure. band or this style or that style um you know there's a reason why i like flying v guitars sure the reason why i like those guitars there's yeah. a reason why i like les paul guitars uh there's a reason why i like playing bass there's a, you know it, you're all uh all of us uh everyone uh, it's not about me. Everyone is influenced by their first musical hero and it stays with them. So what I was really taking, where I was going with it is you're learning how to play their songs. Okay. You're, you don't know crap about writing a song at that point. Uh, maybe you do. I didn't. A lot of, a lot of people do not uh, even yeah. think it's like, about where songs came from, you know, they're more or less just going, Oh, you know, here's a song by so-and-so. Yeah. I wonder what they were thinking when they write it. And some people go, Oh yeah, I guess they, Whoa, they, their mind is blown when they think about, they wrote that song. They created that moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. They created the reason that you've, the whole thing, the whole heart uh, that you have fallen in love with the style, the look, the, down to the stupid guitar that they just got off the shelf. Yeah. I mean, you know, Angus Young sells, he should own stock in Gibson because people play uh, SG, Gibson because SG, because he, because of him. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm trying, that's what I'm getting at. So yeah. you're emulating, you're playing other people's material because you love that material. Yeah. And that's how you've learned how to play. Sure. So there's not really any difference in um, paying tribute in any way uh, than there is when you're just learning a song by someone else that you yeah. adore. There's no difference in my mind of that exact same thing. So let's talk about the person in the audience who's there hearing you play a song by somebody else that you had no, you don't have, you didn't write that song. They know they're there. They're there because of the same smells and feels and looks that they fell in love with when they first heard that song. Yeah. Or yeah. saw that artist. Yeah. This is why this is the drug. This is yeah. why this can be a positive experience for someone. I think the haters, um, and we, you know, it's been, this has been a great conversation. We haven't really dogged anybody out too bad, but there are people that just go, I don't want to see a tribute band and they have their own reasons, whatever they are. And that's fine. Yeah. I, I have my reasons why I wouldn't want to go see a tribute band, but if I'm standing there and they're good and I'm smiling, they're winning. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can I can almost understand, not almost, I can understand. And that's why I tried to make that distinction early in the in the segment. Um, I I I wouldn't really have any desire or incentive to go see a cover band versus a tribute band. Right. Um, because that doesn't give me the experience. It gives me a bunch of popular songs that I'm familiar with, but I can get that from a jukebox. Background you know? music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, it, it works fine at a wedding uh, or whatever, but if I'm going to a venue to see cover tunes, I want them to be cover tunes from, uh, I want it to be a cohesive package. I want it, I want it to be, from a band and I want the band on stage to look like that band or at least deliver a set of the original band's material that I can't hear any anywhere else anymore, not in a live setting. So uh, I, I think maybe, unfortunately, some of the haters and some of the snobbery might come into play when people confuse the idea of a cover band with a tribute band. And the cover band, I kind of understand you know, no, no disrespect to anybody, but I'm probably not going to go out on a Saturday night to see a cover band, but I might go out to see a tribute band. And, and there's a difference, which, you know, which is what I just pointed out between this, the set and the presentation and that sort of thing. That's fair. Um, nothing wrong with being a cover band. I mean, that you know, if you, if you play weddings or if you want to play uh, at, uh, at, at, at various bars and popular night spots and that's a good paycheck and people are having a good time. That's fine too. I'm not going to be in that crowd though. Sure. I'll, I'll, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So here's, yeah. here's an elephant in the room. This is, this is kind of something that should be obvious to people. And I don't think that they realize how obvious it should be is that in some markets in a whole lot of markets, in big markets, big city music markets, on any sort of like in any entertainment district where there's, you know, a bunch of clubs and bars and whatever, venues and stuff, there will be a packed house at the tribute band or the cover band gig and across the street where there's an all original kick ass. Yeah. band of any any kind of music you want just insert your favorite kind of music and they're just awesome at it yeah uh and all original have them who's making more they're, money they're creating <laughs> well, well not I, I wasn't even going to go there yeah but yeah they're making less money and they're they have they're selling their own records at a merch table right um the cover band or the tribute band which they should be probably uh, Gene Simmons should shut them down if it's a Kiss tribute and they're selling merchandise. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess they could get away. I've done it. You know, yeah. Um, my, you know, it doesn't say ACDC on it. It doesn't say, you know, right. but uh, name insert band name here. Um, they'll be it'll be packed, packed at the tr tribute band or sh even a cover band. Yeah. So so people want to eat at McDonald's more than they want sushi. Sure. It's familiar. It's comfortable. And the, the audience at the at the tribute show or and especially the, the cover band show, they're they're there for different reasons. You know, yeah, the 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 cover band audience is there to, you know, dance and have a good time and um, 
you know, do tequila shots and that sort of thing. And, and the, the tribute band audience is still into doing some of that, but they're also, they know the albums and the catalog inside out. They can name the, like we were talking about earlier, somebody could be in the crowd at the tribute band and go, man, that, uh, that guy that's supposed to be uh, Bob Daisley over there doesn't look anything like Bob Daisley. Nobody's saying that at the right. cover band, <laughs> you know? So the, the, the tribute audience is a little more astute, a little more well-studied, and they've done their homework. Um, and I'm not taking anything away. I'm just pointing out the difference between the audience, you know? The, a cover band makes a, make, can make some pretty good money uh, playing the top 40 hits to a bunch of people that want to dance and pick up chicks or dudes or whatever, you know, and Hey, that's well, yeah, cool. that's, a, that's a different agenda. Yeah. Like that's almost background music for the, the scenario or the atmosphere you just, yeah, created. exactly. Yeah, exactly. The fan has a different agenda at that point. Let's, Good if, point. We keep, if we keep it to uh, quality and uh, popularity yeah, the where they're pay, where they're paying tribute is going to be packed, and where you you sweat and bled uh, and wrote great songs and went to the studio and recorded your own material, and there's like five people watching you is a yeah. sin, and that's normal. I've talked yeah. to people in tribute bands, people I've worked with before, and it's like, you write songs, you have your own band outside of this, man. I tried that for years. I hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just ended up doing this and it pays the bills. So, you know, I'm having fun because I love yeah. this. I love and, this. And you're having fun, I think, is yeah. maybe even more the, the more uh, important incentive. You know, that person gave original music a shot. It didn't pan out, but that doesn't mean they're ready to pack up the guitar in the closet and let it collect no. dust. They still got it in them. They want right. to play. They're fans, you know, That's like right. you said all along. I think this is a good time for us to switch gears a little. I was going to say, uh, uh, let let's talk it. about tribute albums. Yeah, and are there any in your collection or that you know about that you you have enjoyed? Uh, is my one question to you, and also, uh, what do you think about? Um, you know, just in general, the idea, do you, you know, are, I mean, I think that it's more of a, of a cool collectible thing. What, what do you think? A tribute album and explain to everyone maybe listening if they, if they just don't know what a tribute album is, let's pretend they don't know. Yeah. Well, it, a, a tribute album is basically by the definition that we're using here today is 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 an album that focuses on the music of a particular artist and it's covered by basically put together bands or bands that are already fully formed bands that submit a song for example to an Ozzy Osbourne tribute album or a Led Zeppelin tribute album or something like that uh, so I've seen both and so have you so has everybody you know uh, you might have a, a band that you recognize is on a Led Zeppelin tribute album, or you have a Led Zeppelin tribute album that is sort of a hodgepodge of guest players collaborating on a song. And I'll let you talk about that a little more here in a bit because you've been a part of that. Um, my take on that is, uh, first of all, to answer your question, I don't believe I own 
any of those type of albums off the top of my head. I remember at one point I had, it was a promo item that was sent to me. Um, it was a Twisted Sister cover album and or tribute album, cover album, tribute album. In this case, wow. they kind of are interchangeable. Um, but I remember number one, being interested because I like Twisted Sister and the types of bands and people that are going to contribute to a Twisted Sister uh, tribute album are also right up my alley. So it had Motorhead, it had Nashville Pussy. I think Joan Jett was on it. And somebody did uh, Shoot Shoot. I want to say it was Motorhead. Um, so there was some you good mean, moments you mean on Shoot them Down? Oh, shoot him down. I'm sorry. Shoot yeah, down. shoot. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm off to the uh, UFO tribute. <laughs> shoot, shoot <the> UFO <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's a yeah. great song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shoot him down. Yeah, and I believe it was Motorhead. And I'm surprised you don't have the uh, Black Flag tribute that came out in the late '90s, maybe early 2000s, called Rise Above. It had Slayer on it. it had a bunch of just really kick ass. I, well, uh, speaking Black, of Slayer, Black. I I do have undisputed attitude. I haven't listened to it in forever, but uh you know, my my take on tribute albums is um I, I there I'm probably never going to find one that I feel like I absolutely have to have. There's going to be some that I'm interested in because because uh, the artists being covered are interesting to me and the players involved are interesting to me. Um, but um, I, I, like, I like the idea of hearing a new spin on, on a familiar tune. I, I guess I enjoy them on a casual basis, yeah. but um, I'm definitely not going to build a record collection out of tribute albums. Is Let's what I'm talk saying. about that. I want to ask you, you just, you just opened up a can of worms and you don't even realize it. Uh oh. So <laughs> let's talk about, you just said um, a different spin on a, like they do a band will do their own version or who maybe it's not a band that does their own version. Maybe it's a, a, uh, a group of friends who happen to be, you know, it's the guy from, you know, uh, LA guns. And it's a guy from, uh, you know, uh, fallout boy or whatever. And they got together with the drummer from so-and-so and they, and they did their own spin on, uh, whatever, a Motorhead song. They yeah. got together got together and played a ballad version of Ace of Spades, which sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. But but, <laughs> but it, it's, it doesn't matter. Song X with guys from X band and this guy from X band and this guy. It doesn't matter, right? The point is a different spin. Like it's a different version of the original song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would... I would be interesting. I would be interested purely from a curiosity standpoint, and then I would probably hear it, realize it was horrible, and never want to hear it again. Nine times out of ten, uh, I might get surprised. Somebody might actually do a new spin on something, and I might think it's pretty creative, and maybe it, they, you know, maybe it's got some fresh new balls to it or something. I don't know. Uh, but most likely, I'm never gonna hear. More often than not, I'm not going to hear a tribute version of a song that I'm going to prefer over the original. There are I, exceptions. I would like to prescribe you something. Do you mind? 
no. if I prescribe you something, there is a movie called, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, I'm, I think that I'm right. There's a movie called Spun. Have you seen the movie Spun? It sounds familiar. It's got Mickey Rourke in it. It's got a, you, you recognize a bunch of people. Jason Schwartzman, uh, Rob Halford is actually in it. He oh, played, wow. plays the clerk at a porn store. So, okay. so it's called Spun. The The main star, I can't, oh, uh, Brittany Murphy is in it. Okay. Uh, so it's a full on, full cast of badass actors, uh, and Rob Halford's in it. That's the yeah. reason I own it. But uh, it's it's a great movie. It's a it's about speed freaks, you know, cook, yeah. cooks, speed cook, cooking and stuff like that. It's not for the kids. But anyway, right. Billy Corgan did. He was the music supervisor and 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 uh, recorded music for the the movie soundtrack. I want to say in this movie there is a ballad version of Number of the Beast and I can't remember who what the artist who the artist was but it is so good really that who knew that just this like sweet mellow it's a male voice like I said I don't know who it is singing six Six six. Oh wow! It sounds stupid when I do it, but I'm telling you, yeah, they they just it's creepy and it's yeah. beautiful at the same time. Yeah, and you I, don't even recognize the song until until this person starts singing the lyrics uh, to "Number of the Beast." Right. Um, also, uh, Billy Corgan actually performs. Uh, I think he ha he's doing a duet with a female singer, and I don't know who that would be. Uh, he does Billy does "Love to Love" by UFO. Oh, nice! And it's beautiful. It's incredible. Wow! Um, yeah. So there's this really odd bird uh, versions of these classic, uh, dare I say, new wave British heavy metal song, or you know, classic uh, deep cut you know, hard rock, heavy metal songs on this soundtrack that are very, very good. And this means a lot coming from me because I'm with you. Smash it or trash it. I'm going to trash a bad, uh, just someone. How dare you come up with your own version of Deuce by Kiss? Yeah. You know what I mean? How dare you do that? You know, because I come from, uh, I just have this thing in my head like, uh, nail it. Get it as close as possible. Yeah. You know, you're going to sound like you when you need to sound like you on someone else's song because you are not them. Yeah. So yeah. to like do like a kind of a rewrite, I'm not saying change the key a little bit. I'm saying change the parts. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it happens. I, I, I come across things once in a while that uh, I hear and you would think just by the song title and knowing who the original artist is that no one should dare touch it. And then once in a while, somebody hits a home run with it. Another one that comes to mind is, uh, I always thought Stone Temple Pilots version of Led Zeppelin's Dancing Days was pretty yeah, darn good. That's really good. But They did but pretty the, good. But they're kind of nailing it. Yeah. See what I'm saying? A they're little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they're, they're nailing it for sure, but they definitely put a different, there's a different 
dynamic. It's almost acoustic sounding or something. It's a lot more mellow um, sounding than the Led Zeppelin version. Well, they're not Led Zeppelin. So yeah. It's they they sound like Stone Temple Pilots, but they're playing the same arrangement. I think it's in the same key. That's my point. You know yeah. how we're talking about cover songs now. I was just going to say we need yeah. to get back to tribute albums. But, but, but that's okay. But that's okay because the, these people are paying tribute to these songs and these artists uh, every once in a while. I mean, you you know, Van Halen's version of just pick. They, Van Halen did a thousand cover songs. Yeah, yeah. Their Dive, first single. Half of them are on Diver Down. Yeah, their first single <laughs> ever. Uh, you really got me as a cover song, and it yeah. it, it paved the way, uh, saying that that's definitely okay to do that. Now, tribute albums where it is a bunch of different artists uh, coming together to pay tribute to one band. I have the opinion that if some of the artists do their own versions of it because um you know they don't play like that really they love their fans of this you know they got asked to do it for a reason maybe they don't maybe they can't play like eddie van halen maybe the singer can't sing like rob halford or even gene simmons or whatever the hell it is you're doing right so doing your own version and uh you know mashing it up a little bit i'll just use that term uh, I think that is all. It's all right because you want to do it, and it's you, here. We are. This is the theme here. They're probably having a blast. Yeah, sure. Their version of this song for this tribute that might be for charity or something too, because there's quite a bit of that going on as yeah. well. Um, sometimes it's not. You know, I've been asked to be part. Uh, of uh, you know a, a bunch of different artists coming together to make a, a tribute record and uh, made decent money just getting yeah. paid to go cover someone else's song one yeah. song I've got I've made good money on so for um, for musicians whether it be a studio musician or or a, a, for a band to to be invited to that kind of thing I think it's great yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the theme here is, again, if the musicians are having fun and there's an audience for it that, that uh, is having a good time or appreciates it and is willing to spend some money on it, who am I to get between those two people, you know? So um, I'm not going to dog any of it out. I, I have my own personal preferences and, they'll, and they will inform my, my spending decision, but uh, I'm not going to... I'm not going to hate on anyone for doing, you know, tribute type stuff. Uh, as long as they put some effort into it, do their homework and, and, uh, and bring their a game to it, then who am I to say that oh, yeah. it's not valuable? I, I, I want to mention that there is a, it's rather old now. There's, there's a documentary called tribute. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I don't, think so there's a movie out it's called tribute and they they follow around with a camera crew a kiss tribute a queen tribute um maybe a judas priest tribute um and i won't uh i, I won't 
say which one of those artists I'm like gagging. I'm like just like oh making faces at the TV when I watch it. But <laughs> I've watched this. I've watched the, I watched the documentary years and years ago when it came out, and it was very interesting. Uh, some of the some of the highlights were that there were. Once again, I won't throw anybody under the bus, but there were people seemingly that were in these tribute bands that actually felt like they were becoming the person that they were impersonating. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they felt like they were entitled to something because they were, they were <laughs> the person they were impersonating um, it would act that way. Maybe. Yeah. Too. I don't, I don't know, but it was, it's, it's, it might be a gas for some people to watch as it's like, you know, like laughable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then I think, you know, I think that some of the tribute bands that they covered were, were worthy of, of, you know, worthy of being recognized in the film. And some of them were, had no business being in there at all. That might've been the purpose of the film to show sort of the disparity between, you know. Yeah. 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 But, but, but highly entertaining and very interesting and, and a little bit fitting, if not perfect fit for yeah. conversation today. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Cause I, I would probably get a kick out of that. Yeah. I, you know what, I think that this has been a really good show with some opinions as well as just some sort of gray area that yeah. we've been able to sort of hit uh you know back and forth over the net yeah you know it's it's uh it's at the end of the day it's rock and roll right and uh, if people are having fun and enjoying it then more power to them i'm not gonna hate on that right if the tribute bounds if i'm sorry if the tribute uh records are recorded well with great musicianship on them with good packaging um, and done right, especially if they're for charity and they have all these uh, uh, boxes checked, I think that it's it's a great a great idea and a great thing. I yeah. think that um, sometimes the 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 real band will endorse these tribute bands sometimes, and even help them. Sometimes I know Metallica has helped out a couple of Metallica tribute bands and Metallica have maybe had events where they would hire the tribute band to play like during the day for a radio station event or something or, yeah. um, you know, I've heard of all kinds of things and that's, that's pretty cool Yeah, where, um, you know, I imitation of life, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, if you, if you are in a tribute band and you get a ringing endorsement from the original band, then, then you're doing something right. That's, it that's happens, pretty cool. It happens sometimes. It yeah. Happens yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, good talk. Let's, uh, let's wrap up tributes and move on to our final segment, Shot of Rock and Roll. In all of your travels, whether touring or just uh, being Jason, driving around or whatever, vacationing, um, wherever you may roam, to, to borrow a phrase from Metallica, nice. what, what would be, what stands out as the most uh, interesting or historical rock and roll monument that you've ever uh, visited? Whether that's a statue or the, the grave of a, of a rock star or uh, a world famous venue, 
you know what I'm saying. You take it from here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have, you know, gone to my knees at a statue of anyone before. Um, I would have remembered that because um, there are some monuments that I would love to see and uh, bow down to. And that would be, there's a statue of Bon Scott in Perth. Yeah. Um, that I would love to worship and touch just because I love Bon Scott. But, you know, there there's a bunch of those. Uh, Philip Linet, uh, there's, you know, his statue. There, there's a lot of popular ones. Yeah. There is a, a, I think it's just a pub somewhere in Germany called Halfords. And I want to say it's still there. And they, I think, have a bust, like a statue of him and his classic, scream pose you know yeah bent over kind of thing and uh, just killing the microphone and uh i would like to be there to witness that and and have some thoughts and say a prayer kind of yeah. thing yeah i have to say that would be like that's just my dream list whether i get to travel to those places and do that um yeah. is remains to be seen um my answer to your question is more about I have played venues um, that I grew up like uh, you know like hearing you know reading the liner notes and uh, you know seeing live concert footage from and yeah. you get where I'm going with this yeah um, kiss at Cobo Hall I've played Cobo Hall uh, oh, wow. Kiss Nassau Coliseum. I've played Nassau Coliseum, uh, right. the Capitol Center, Largo, Maryland. I've I have Kiss videos. I've I've played there. Yep. Uh, yep. Hammersmith Odeon. I've played there. Yep. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, the places that you kind of think you know. I have to pinch myself sometimes. A couple of those, in the middle of my set, I've stopped the show just for a second, and said, I just want to look around here because one of my favorite records in the whole world was recorded here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you know, I, whether anyone's paying attention to me or not, I, I have a moment for myself <laughs> at everyone else's expense. Yeah. And, They're paying uh, attention. If you stop the song. <laughs> well, I haven't stopped. I'm not stopping the song. It's in between. Oh, so. banter in between. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've walked the hallowed halls and played on some pretty sacred stages then. I I I would like to think so. Uh, I'd say Hammersmith Odeon is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just trip when I when they're talking about Red Rocks in in Denver. I'm like, I played there, and people turn to me with their jaw on the ground. Yeah, I'm like yeah, I played for. I mean, I was supporting Judas Priest and and uh, Alice Cooper. Of course, I've played these badass venues. I I it wasn't my gig. I was yeah. I was invited to clean up the room when they were done pretty <laughs> yeah. much but but i go well i was on the bill you got to yeah. squint to see my name but i was there anyway yeah. those moments um have been cool for me another one is the old studio 54 which was called the ritz later on in the in the late 80s yeah and yeah. that's famous for from more or less from that uh uh, among other, uh, among the fact that I've already mentioned that it's actually the old Studio 54 in New York, but uh, that famous 
uh, Guns and Roses, Roses concert yeah. from MTV. They're they're live at the Ritz, and that's that's it. That's the yeah. same venue. And I've played, I've play, got to play that place like three times. Um, so something something really really cool about that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, not many people can say they've played those historical iconic stages. So uh, you've uh, you've walked some sacred ground. Some, some sacred ground. Some people might be sports fans, you know, and go and say, "I've I've played the Spectrum in Philly." Oh man, that's where the my favorite team practices. Yeah, you know, yeah. Where, you know, yeah. stuff like stuff like that. It's kind of, sure. it's kind of weird. Right? So. Well, cool. That's that's great. Not everybody gets to say that. So. Yeah, my 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 shot of rock and roll to you today, and I I sort of borrowed this one from my buddy Bob Sutcliffe. Um, he loves the show, and, yeah. And uh, thank you, Bob. He's a great supporter. Uh, he's he loves music. He's yeah. He's a metalhead, but he loves music. Yeah. Um. So he, of course, he, and that's us. So he. Sure. You know, we love music, but we're just happen to be headbangers. Yeah. Uh, so we talk, that's why we can talk about any kind of music here at Talk Louder. But he uh, came up with a list of things. He was just kind of like spitballing with me in a conversation. And this is, uh, I'll get to it. He, he mentioned something like, something like this. So when you first got to go sort of backstage and experience a backstage moment like uh it's more about when was the first time that you got to go backstage and 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 why do you think people or you personally you know it's like you've been going to concerts your whole adult life or or when shit fuck that even when you were a, ch a child <laughs> you were going you were going yeah. to concerts i mean i didn't even conceptualize meeting the band or going backstage and walking around behind the scenes kind of a thing until much later. Yeah. Where, where, where it turned into like maybe a coveted thing. Oh man, you get to meet the band, you know, that kind of thing. What was your first backstage moment where it actually meant something to you? And it was just like, Oh, I'm backstage. Cause I got hired to take out the garbage, you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh. Brought to you by Bob Sutcliffe. Yeah, how to rock and roll to David today has been brought to you by Bob Sutcliffe. Yeah, it's pretty um, good. One, you got to admit, it's pretty good. It's stumping you a little bit. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good question because um, there's I've I've been lucky enough to experience that numerous times, and if I'm going all the way back trying to recall the very first one, that's that's really going to be you know it should be easy to remember because i i should have been in such awe that i could never forget it but you know the years go by and memories get cloudy and that sort of thing but here's one that i i remember um and oddly enough uh you were there and we we had met but we weren't we weren't really buddies yet because i was living in a different city but it was um it was the Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion tour, and it stopped in Austin, and it was at the Irwin Center. 
And I was invited by the band's publicist to drive in from San Antonio because at the time she wanted to talk to me about possibly uh, being hired to write promo materials for Geffen Records, the, the label that Guns N' Roses was on. So she saw it as a, as a, as a way to get to meet me and maybe do a quick interview of, of sorts, informal, just kind of a meet Dave and talk business a little bit. And oh, by the way, there's a concert going on. Can you make it? <laughs> And I was, uh, yeah, that would yeah. Be a hell yeah. I was like, not only am I going to see Guns N' Roses for free, but uh, there's a potential job on the table for Geffen, working for Geffen Records. So yeah, I'll I'll be there if I have to crawl. Mm -hmm. So um, I came up to the Irwin Center. I brought my buddy Al Kelly from uh, who played in a, a thrash metal band in San Antonio called Scythe, and uh, he's a dear friend of mine. And he kept me company on the way up from San Antonio. He was my plus one for that night. So we get to the show. Um, Brian May from Queen is the opening act that night. And long story short, I end up backstage with the woman who invited me to the show. Um, she introduces me to Slash. She introduces me to uh, Gilby Clark. And she introduces me to Brian May. And Al and I are just sitting there. You know, Two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was telling Al, we, you know, we were, before we were formally introduced to Brian May, we were standing across the room from him. And I, I, I remember telling Al, you know, oh my God, man, there's the guy. They'll, they'll be playing that guy's music in football stadiums long after our grandchildren are dead. <laughs> you know, oh, I, yeah, think it's on. You, I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan and I was totally honored to meet Slash, but I think we were more in awe of Brian May just because of the magnitude of who he is and was and all this stuff. So uh, to answer Bob's question, it was probably being backstage. And I remember looking across the room and I saw you uh, you were back there and I remember they had this huge stereo system on like a road crate. It had wheels on the bottom so they could push it around the room and it was blasting the sex pistols. And, uh, we're back there, you know, talking to Slash, talking to Brian May, uh, having a few beers, just enjoying the hospitality. And then the woman, I should mention her name, uh, her name is, uh, Bryn Bridenthal and she was super instrumental in the career of Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and countless artists. And she's just a sweetheart of a woman. And she was a, uh, a queen of publicity. And uh, so she was the reason I was there. And so at some point she comes up to me and says, uh, Brian, Brian's ride hasn't shown up. Do you, is your car nearby? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's about a block away. And she says, do you think we could catch a ride with you back to his hotel room? And I'm going, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, holy shit, I'm going to give Brian May a ride to his hotel room? I said, yeah, yeah, come, come on, come with me. So we're walking through the corridors of the Irwin Center with Brian May, and we're just chatting. And, you know, he's the perfect British gentleman, of course, you know. Yeah, he's, he's the, probably the, he's the nicest guy out of the three dids you probably met. No disrespect to Gilby or Slash whatsoever. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's so sweet. He's, he's classically 
British and polite and just, uh, I mean, you could bring him home to meet your mom. He oh, was yeah. like not, not threatening or menacing or anything, just this perfect British gentleman, super tall, super lanky. And we're walking, we leave the building, we leave the venue, we're walking through the parking lot, we're on the way to my car. I'm about to give Brian May a ride to his hotel room and his ride pulls up. Ah. Totally intercepts us, totally stole my thunder. Brian thanked us profusely for the offer and uh, wished us well and told and thanked us for coming to the show when the pleasure was all ours, trust me. And uh, that was... uh, that was an unforgettable moment. I almost had him in my car. <laughs> well, that's a that's a good one. Yeah, good one. I I I was hoping for something that was a little a little bit more of a younger Dave. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to think of a younger Dave, and you know, I really didn't start getting the the I really didn't have the connections until I was in my late teens or probably yeah. mid twenties. I remember sitting backstage at the Showcase Events Center in San Antonio with Paul Diano. Um, that's that's the one right there. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not begging or choosing. I'm 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 saying yeah. that's that's the one right there. That that was a good been, one. Yeah, that was a yeah. good one. Yeah. We just sat on the couch back there, this old flea bitten couch, and I was running a little cassette recorder. I was interviewing him for. Um, I think I was interviewing him for the SA News, which was like a little entertainment uh, tabloid newspaper out of San Antonio. Um, And we just sat back there for what seemed like at least an hour, maybe two, just talking and talking and talking. And he signed all my early Iron Maiden albums. And uh, I, yeah, I was, I was pretty starstruck um although i i hope i covered it well but that was another good one paul diano what, what tour was what tour was that what was he, he was doing? he was touring with his band uh killers at that time okay yeah okay. so it's 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 well past iron maiden and, it, and you know he was he was touring with a band called killers and they played the showcase event center in san antonio i got to sit with him right next to him on a couch and we shot the shit for you know at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half, something like that. And uh, he signed all my albums. They're framed and hanging around in this in, in my office today. But that was another good one. So that one's for Bob. Two for you, Bob nice. Sutcliffe. <laughs> good one. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. But before we go, I do want to remind everybody listening that we really do appreciate hearing from you. We love your feedback. But if you could do us a huge favor and hit that like button on the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, leave your comments for us on our various platforms. We will get back to you. Uh, Jason, those of you that are viewing uh, can see, we've got some merch on the way. Jason's giving you a sneak peek right there. You'll be seeing more of that and we'll have some details to share with you. But please, uh, it helps us tremendously if there's activity on our platforms, if there's numbers on our platforms. And one of the best ways you can help us uh, boost the show and promote the show is by hitting that like button. Thank you in advance for that. In the meantime, we will sign off. I am Metal Dave Glessner with my co-host Jason McMaster saying goodbye. We'll catch you soon on another episode of the Talk Louder podcast.